off the shelf. Hello, this is Sam with Church of the Geek. And welcome to Off the Shelf, our ongoing series reviewing recent comics, where today I'll be reviewing Inferno number four, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Valerio Shitty, and Stefano Caselli, and colors by David Curiel. It's hard not to compare Hickman's run on X-Men to the legendary Grant Morrison run from May 2001 to March 2004. Morrison changed things up by revamping major characters, amping up the emotional drama and angst, and letting his fertile imagination run loose. Hickman's work will also go down as a touchstone in the series, and the fallout from Inferno will likely impact the title for years to come. However, while Morrison tried to streamline and demystify the X-Men, Hickman sought to remystify them and expand them far beyond the confines of their usual world. His work was often multi-layered and dense, written with a long view in mind. Which brings us to the concluding chapter of his Inferno limited series, which serves to basically end his run as the writer for X-Men and other titles. Inferno serves as the bookend to the House of X and Powers of Ten series, which earns a close reread after getting through Inferno. House of X and Powers of Ten set the stage and named the stakes for all that followed, and Inferno serves to answer some of the lingering questions and problems that were left open when the former series ended. Inferno number four serves as a bit of a head fake for readers who have been anticipating what was assumed to be the collapse of Krikoan government. After all, this was prefaced by the threats to burn it all down for some time now. However, what is burned down is not Krakoa, but the trust it had in its leaders, Magneto and Professor X. It's clear by the end of the issue and the series that their leadership has diminished considerably. Emma Frost, who revealed the truth about Moira, Charles, and Eric to the Quiet Council, between their deaths at the hand of Nimrod and their resurrection, has now risen to be perhaps the only truly trustworthy member of the Council. We see her more than once towering over the helpless newly made bodies of them both, striking Xavier's pose and saying, To me, my X-Men. After their last resurrection, she tells Eric and Charles that there will be no more secrets kept from the Council. Xavier is singled out, though, as Emma rightfully expresses the sentiments of all those gathered that he is, quote, our leader of mutants, the most guilty of all of us. This will represent a significant turn in the lives of the mutants of Krakoa. One theme we've seen throughout this series has been the painful power of secrets and how they eventually come to light. How long will it be before the cracks in the Quiet Council excellently artistically foreshadowed, by the way, in issue number one, allow those secrets to seep out into the general population. What will the response be of those who held Krakoan leadership in high regard, as well as those who lack trust and faith in the first place? And what lengths will Xavier, and especially Magneto, go to in order to preserve the dream? Another big revelation is that Nimrod and Omega Sentinel are not servants of Orcus, but are instead its creators and destroyers. All along, Moira has been concerned about humanity, either alone or with machines as their instruments, eventually destroying the mutant race. In all of her lives, the mutants have lost. However, we now see that the machines are now the main enemy to not only mutants, but humans as well, as Omega Sentinel declares war on both. Her proclamation of, did you honestly think we were going to sit around forever and just take it, to Magneto, 
is a callback to his own pronouncement to humanity. It's also clear that the ease of which Nimrod and Omega dispatch Professor X and Magneto shows that they are not the gods that they were at the beginning of Hickman's story. With all of the twists and turns of Inferno, perhaps the biggest surprise involves Doug Ramsey. It's revealed that Warlock and Krakoa have a biotechnological connection, meaning that Doug has been privy to the secrets of the island since its founding. Doug's cleverness and downright aw shucks goodness serves as a stark counterpoint to Mystique's own cunning and ruthlessness as he confronts her and destiny regarding Moira's fate. Making Doug Ramsey arguably one of the most powerful mutants on the island would be truly Hickman-esque if it wasn't written by Hickman in the first place. All in all, Inferno doesn't really feel like a conclusion. Very few things have been wrapped up. In fact, things seem to have only unraveled more. Moira has now become a depowered, free variable with unknown motives and allegiances. Krakoan government rests on a precipice. The mutant attempt to eliminate the threat of AI ascendancy only seemed to make that path more inevitable. Perhaps more important is something that was advertised in the lead-up to Inferno, that mutants can trust no one, not their leaders, not their allies, and certainly not their enemies. So the Krakoan age is far from over. New titles are spinning out from this new reality, which they are calling Destiny of X and should be out on shelves come spring, maybe. What did I think of Inferno? Well, in some ways, it didn't quite live up to the hype that it came before it. If this was supposed to be part of a trilogy of major events, following in the footsteps of House of X Powers of Ten and Ten of Swords, a quick four-issue run didn't do it justice. Things felt disjointed and rushed at times, and the lack of a common artist through the series didn't help things for me. The story, though, is compelling, and compelling enough to warrant going back to reread those issues and titles that got us all here in the first place. And for comics, that's a pretty significant accomplishment. But let's go back to Doug for a minute. Inferno was pretty bleak, and while the run-up to it was punctuated with significant highs for mutantdom, conquering Mars, for example, the X-Men have definitely been hurt by their inability to measure up to their own standards. In Doug's final confrontation with Mystique at the end of the issue, he defends his choice to spare Moira's life by citing the law of Krakoa to kill no man. Because Moira is now human and no longer mutant, it's unlawful for Mystique to kill her. He affirms that Moira, and by implication Magneto and Xavier, have been derelict in their duties of protecting the island as well as what it stands for. While he certainly doesn't defend Moira or her actions, he sees a greater value in honoring mutant law. After all, most of their problems have been the result of secrets, lies, and hypocrisy. Thanks again for listening. If you haven't already, check out our new website at geek.church. Also, if you could please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app, we would greatly appreciate it. You can find us on Twitter, at Geek Church, and I'm at Rev S. Blair. Stay tuned for more comics, movies, and theology. And as always, geek be with you.